newspapermen meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ting-a-ling-ling, city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. The Media Project gives you a half hour of commentary and analysis on what's going on in the news media. And we are here with some veteran journalists to try to put some facts and anecdotes behind those numbers. I'm Rex Smith of the Upstate American, formerly editor of the Times Union. I am next to the former editor of the Daily Gazette, Judy Patrick. Next to the former executive editor of the Saratogian and the Troy Record, Barbara Lombardo. And next to the former publisher of the Fire Island, <laughs> whatchamacallit, Marlon Sartak. Yes. yes, 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 of course, of course. Uh, Dr. Shartok being the CEO of Northeast Public Radio, a columnist, commentator, etc., and political scientist by training. Which brings us this question, Dr. Shartok. Uh-oh. You have always taken a rather dim view of news coverage of sports, saying that it's a distraction. I show you now this evidence, sir, that recent data shows that the top 100 TV programs last year, 2022, 82 of the top 100 TV shows were NFL games. Okay? Yeah. Only President Joe Biden's 2022 State of the Union address a year ago, just as the war in Ukraine was beginning, cracked the top 20. What does that say about the American people? Well, the American people are easily distracted. And we know that, you know, when it comes down to what am I going to do with my time, I think a lot of Americans think that sports is a good way to fill that time. And we know it, and we know that sports brings in a lot of money. I find it a rather dismal situation, but what can I say? But it's entertaining, and yeah, that... I think it's great. I mean, sports is something that brings together people no matter what their race, religion, political views. Mm. I mean, there's some territorial nature mm. involved. And then if people enjoy watching sports, I think that's a good thing, and I'm not it's the opiate. It's the opiate of the proletariat. <laughs> you, know, you, you see this on social media as well. If you look at the top trending stories on Twitter or any place else, it's always sports things that I know nothing about. And then followed by music things that I know nothing about. And then you'll see maybe a Ukraine story way, way down there. But it, that's what's happening on social media as well. You know, I remember in the early 90s when I became the editor of the paper in Troy, the four-section paper, I was surprised when I came into the job to discover that the B section was always sports. And if there was ever a reduction to a two-section paper, the front, the second front, was always sports. That's how important it is to people in the community, you know? And it is one of the things that stitches communities together. If you have great local sports coverage, that I think helps to elevate the support for the the medium for the newspaper, for example, in people in the community, right? Yeah, and it's for the community. And something like NFL, which is the one that is the TV programming that's in the top 20, that goes all across the nation. So what are people doing on a Sunday afternoon? They're not doing much else. Weather may not be great. And people who love football are watching football, no matter what teams are playing. And I think it's a mistake on the part of people in the media when we get cocky and don't understand why that's important. 
Those stations certainly understand what's important. That well, you really important because they make money selling ads to go with it. Well, you're really talking about me when you say people in the media who make fun of it, because I do. You know, I think... The shoe fits. I I think our distractions are terrible, that we don't pay attention to the important things like politics. One has nothing to do with the other. These are not mutually exclusive entities. You mean it's like walking and chewing gum at the same time. I'm working on that. (laughs) But, you know, covering local sports is really important for, like, my old newspaper, the Gazette in Schenectady, and for every local newspaper because the reporters and the photographers out there shooting those games, covering those games, are making connections with the community in a way the regular reporters can't, and establishing lifelong bonds, establishing credibility, the fans, the parents, the kids, they see us there and they get to know us. It's a way of establishing trust and credibility with our community. When it comes to covering a community, local sports is one of the most important things that we have done. That's amazing. You know, the three of you are against me. Yeah. <laughs> is that true? Are we? Well, I, just I, admit it. I, I yeah, Alan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess so. Manishtano, halala, you cover hazem. sports on WAMC. We, we have sports. Yes. Not a lot. No, because we're better than that. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that is oh, arrogant. Boy. But if people pick up a newspaper for sports coverage, and you have to say that's one of the reasons, actually, that's what sustained the tabloids in New York City for a long time, was you'd see people pick up the paper and immediately flip it over to the sports cover on the back. New York Post, P-O-S-T. Absolutely. And the Daily News and Newsday that I used to work for. You know, that's a big deal. But if that is why people pick up the paper, then you hope that they also expand their diet and bring in not just the ice cream, but also the uh, spinach. You know, I didn't become prepared with the statistics on this, but I think that we are speaking of the past and thinking that there's a lot of sports coverage in newspapers nowadays. I think that's drastically cut back. I do have, I can tell you, anecdotal evidence about, say, one person I might be married to who buys the Post. I might be married to? (laughs) Not revealing any sources, who might buy the Post on Sunday to read the sports. Sure. And warns me not to look at the front. You mean the Washington Post? No. (laughs) That we get online. So I don't think that we cover sports as much in print. Because explain why that ways. is. It's because uh, of one the way deadlines. One it costs money. Well, the other one is deadlines, and that there are other ways for people to get that information. Other ways to get the information, and nowadays most newspapers are not printed on site. We all were editors of papers that had their own presses, and that is now long gone. You know, the Times Union is printing 14 titles a night, and so deadlines for those are very early. Some of these papers go to bed at 5 p.m. when none of the games are there. Well, a lot of the professional teams have their own entities that report the news for their teams, report the scores, cover their players. So you're not going to get an important in-depth examination or, you know, expose about something about the team, Mm -hmm. but you're going to get the sports news that a sports fan might want. So if that's what people pick it up for or tune into a station for something, you have to hope that, as I was saying, they get the tough stuff. I was really taken by a report that I heard from NPR from the media reporter David Falkenflick, who was reporting about West Virginia public broadcasting, an astonishing story of political pressure seemingly coming from the governor right to the head of West Virginia public broadcasting, who is a political pal who ended up getting a reporter fired as a result of that. So now the question comes, Dr. Shartz, 
Talk. What kind of political pressure have you felt? I'll tell you, but you first have to do me a favor and say the name Folkenflick five times. <laughs> he actually is an old friend of mine. He used to be a media writer for the Baltimore Sun before he went to radio, and he's got this great voice for radio, David Folkenflick. Anyway, there he That's is. One. Folkenflick did this great story. Two. <laughs> Wolfenflick. Three. Alan, can yes. you speak to the political pressure, I say, on someone like in your position? To, say, temper the coverage, do you ever get balled out by politicians for what your reporters have done? Not regularly. We have had examples of that, of course, but very rarely. Just this morning, I was talking to somebody about our coverage. You know, I think people with public radio, to some degree, understand it's a cut above the other crap that you people put out. Uh. In right. this case, this is a fairly small public radio station system, I think, and they were, they're heavily dependent on the funding they get from the state. Mm. And even though they said that this person was a part-time reporter who was covering scandals at the state level, she was replaced by a full-time person. That was the reason they gave. I don't know why they didn't just make her full-time. But they needed the money, and it should be a warning lesson to all of us that if you rely on this money, if you take money from the government, there is this danger, and it's clear and present in this case. One of the reasons I love having you on the show, that we have you, we have you on the show, um, (laughs) what what, what is coming next, (laughs) is that you really cut to the chase. You know what you're talking about, and I, I do think that this is an issue that we all have to look at, what we put on the air, why we put it on the air and somewhere in what I was talking about I think there was a germ of an idea. So this reporter had done a number of stories about the mistreatment of people with disabilities who were in the state's care, which the governor Jim Justice took exception to, and with somebody who had been installed at the head of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, who was close to the governor, it became very clear, even, for example, when the politicians, when the governor was being interviewed, the head of West Virginia Public Broadcasting was sitting right there in the studio, listening to the questions to sort of say, don't get out ahead of this here, folks. And sure enough, the reporter's job went away. I thought it was an exceptionally well-reported story, and what's cool is that it was aired by NPR, meaning that West Virginia Public Broadcasting listeners heard it. How cool is that? Mm -hmm. When we faced it in the newspaper business, if you have an advertiser who spends a lot of money advertising with your paper or an underwriter who donates a ton of money to the station, I mean, do you have to listen to them more than you listen to the average person complaining about a story? We do not, nor do we ever get that kind of money that we would have to answer your question truthfully because we'd have to think about whether or not that happened. But since it never happens, get it? Understood. Yeah. Well, maybe it's only in uh, places like West Virginia and South Dakota and so on where we have to worry about that. And after all, those poor folks, what can you do? In any case, part of the peril that you see in an ecosystem that doesn't support itself, you know, absent some sort of external funding source, whether that's tax exemption to provide nonprofits some help. You've mentioned what, that many, many times well, on this I think program. It's relevant. It, as if you have something, but you don't. Well, no, I think it's great. It's just a wonderful thing. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a form of public subsidy of not for profit journalism. Um, and I believe in not for profit journalism as well as 
not-for-profit. You know, I'm on the board of the Adirondack Explorer, which is a wonderful not-for-profit newsroom in the North Country. I think you've mentioned that many times, but you are also, you know, an editor on a local major paper here in the Capital District. And my question for you then is, how important is the fact that it wasn't not-for-profit? If it had been not-for-profit, what would the difference be? What's the question? Sorry, if yeah, what was that? I knew I became. <laughs> yeah, what's the difference between running a nonprofit and running oh. a commercial media outlet? That's why I love having you on the show. What's the difference between running a nonprofit or a for-profit media yes, outlet? That's right. Well, some of it depends on who you're beholden to. So sure. if you're beholden to your corporate bosses and how much you can reinvest into your mm-hmm. own product or not reinvest into your own product and people. But as far as the ethics and your guiding star for reporting news fully, and that should be the case. No matter whether you're for profit or not, should be. Yeah, I mean, yeah, should is one of those words that we see a lot. Well, the question we is whether you work for a reputable news organization or not. Some of them are going to distort regardless of what their financial source is, and they're going to be supporting politicians. We have this right wing media ecosystem now that includes Fox News and those to the right of them, Newsmax, OAN. You know, right now we've got this huge controversy if you follow right wing media. And Congress is stepping into it, including uh, the North Country Congresswoman Elise Stefanik, claiming that DirecTV is censoring the news by saying we're not going to carry Newsmax. And now there are going to be congressional hearings into DirecTV saying we're not going to carry Newsmax, allegedly because Newsmax is a conservative outlet, meaning it's not really legitimate news. But in fact, this is actually just a business dispute. DirecTV and other carriers bill these services all the time. That is the cost of carrying them. So Newsmax is depending upon its political pals on the right to try to bully this company into carrying their service, which doesn't have enough audience to sustain it. Am I explaining that well enough? Yes, and it's never a good thing when that happens is it? No, and Spectrum is having the same dispute with Newsmax, and Stefanik is also expressing some outrage over that as well. We've seen these carriage disputes, but it has never risen to politics before. We've seen issues about whether they would cover a certain sports network, and we would write about it because you would have their followers call up and complain about it, but I've never seen a congressional hearing over it, and I've never seen it go into politics the way this has. So, do you think now that you've made this very interesting statement, do you think the fact that the Republicans control the House of Representatives has anything to do with the outcome. Oh, with the outcome? What's the outcome of a hearing? Is Congress going to pass a law forcing DirecTV to carry Newsmax? No. No, but they might have a hearing on the issue, Mm. and they might have a discussion on the issue, and that, of course, involves the authoritative allocation of scarce resources. Like the hearings at the border that congressional committees are doing, uh, Speaker McCarthy leading a group of freshman Republicans to try to spotlight alleged Biden administration incompetence at the border, where incidentally the number of people coming across the border has declined dramatically over the past month. But the fact is, congressional hearings are just roadshows. That's all they are. These are not really fact-gathering information. Everything about a congressional hearing is stage-managed. That was very dramatically so in the case of the January 6th committee, which had a TV producer orchestrating it all. And so those were excellent hearings. And when I was a young congressional aide, I put together hearings, and you know exactly what's going to happen before It's all scripted. So it's just a show. And that kind of raises a question about how do you cover this stuff? If it's a show, then how much legitimacy do you give to this notion of, oh, my goodness, there's something important happening in our community. We're down in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas, and here are members of Congress coming down 
oh, aren't we important? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the bottom line is there are hearings all the time. Here in the state capital of New York, there are hearings. They don't get covered a lot. Every once in a while, something will rise to the surface and we'll think it's newsworthy. There are a lot of hearings in Washington, D.C. Maybe C-SPAN will cover it. Maybe Newsmax will cover its own hearing about DirecTV is, but I can't imagine that the rest of the channels will devote much time at all to it. would have to, to be it. a pretty slow news day. Right. <laughs> and and we can, do have slow news days. Do. Yeah, yeah, but when we poo-poo hearings as being just you know a stage-managed presentation theater, which they are, political theater, and yet I thought that the January 6th hearings were really important and that I was really glad that it was presented in a way that the public would be or at least should be interested in watching and that it was digestible. And it was controversial, which is one of the reasons it was so amenable to the public eating it. So the presentation really did make all the difference because all of those facts could have been just laid out in a report. Right, the topic and the presentation was Yeah, You're right, Rex. Right, but when you think about, for example, the 9-11 hearings after the attack of 9-11, eventually Congress did that, there wasn't the similar kind of presentation. The 9-11 report, I should say, didn't have the impact of the January 6th hearings because it wasn't presented well. And, you know, that's part of journalism's responsibility is to give information to people in a form that they will be able to take it, to make it attractive enough to give an audience to stuff that's important for people to hear. And sometimes it's important for people to know that there is a hearing taking place so that they know what their elected people are up to. Mm -hmm. And so when Fox was playing all the Hunter Biden hearings and the I don't think CNN played any of it or maybe snippets of it or at least somebody reported that it was happening in passing. So So every entity is going to decide what they want for their audience. And what's the basis for that decision? Their audience and their advertisers. Remember the Benghazi hearings? You know, how drawn out and boring those are. You know, there's some criticism now that the media is continuing to pay too much attention to the January 6th insurrection and that that story should be done and over. We're all bored by it. But I bring you back to the Watergate hearing where this was dogged reporting for two years and it did at times get boring. But because real journalism sometimes gets into the minutia that can be a little boring. Those were hearings that, you know, didn't have the flash and sparkle of today, but of their time, they were groundbreaking. So, Judy, should good journalism be defined as to whether or not it's interesting? Well, you like to use important. Sorry for, I don't want to put words in Judy's mouth. Go ahead. I think everything is interesting if you just put a little brain power behind it. I mean, I used to tell reporters, you can cover a sewer commission meeting and make it interesting. I did a four-part series on (laughs) sewer bond (laughs) refinancing, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Look at the smile on his face. Refinancing. You guys were probably in the business at the same time. (laughs) It's It's actually a very interesting topic. (laughs) Well, it was which politically connected financiers got the revenue from the sewer bond refinancing. But, you know, you had to get into the whole question of, you know, water tables and the diminution of water tables as a result of it. It's important that those things (laughs) get reported. I, you know, all kidding aside on that kind of stuff. It's a necessary function. Yes. It certainly is that. And that it's there in the record. People can take a look at it. It exists. It's important to tell those kinds of stories. Yeah. Not every day. Yeah. And it's hard when you have a story that you know is important. I'm sorry, just one more anecdote. I spent weeks working on an explanation of the New York State Public Service Commission. You know, it's a big deal, the PSC. I'd read it. Well, you're just I like a, that stuff too. That's not a good model. Yeah, I don't care what you'd read. <laughs> well, you could, if you take something yeah. more current and closer to home, the uh, train derailment in Ohio, mm-hmm. which 
I criticize the media when I'm just yelling things out loud where they're just saying it's in East Palestine, Ohio. And like, does anybody here know where that is? So any of our readers know where East Palestine? They don't, it's they should the say East, isn't it? south of, you know, half hour south of Cleveland or whatever the heck it is. They don't place it. But that is a story that the whole country should be worried about because trains carrying hazardous materials are going through your towns. And the best media report, so it's not quite like the Sewer Commission. And actually USA Today was one of the news organizations that did a good story telling what does it mean to me? What you're trying to do with your stories that you're thinking back about, Rex, is that these mean something to the readers, if only they would listen. And so good media today and using social media and using charts and using interactive, you could type in your zip code or your town and it will tell you where in your area hazardous waste trains have gone through. Which is why digital is a better form for most journalism than newspapers or radio or television because you can have that kind of presentation, you know. And it's taking an important topic and telling us what does it mean to us, why Mm -hmm. is it important. Right. Well, you mentioned an interesting thing, and that is the use of social media. You know, these social media platforms are the way that a lot of news is delivered these days. And we cater to them in creating our products. We try to second guess the algorithms that are going to advance the news. We do all kinds of things to make stuff more palatable so that it will reach people's Facebook or Twitter feeds. And the difficulty is those platforms are now making a fortune with that content, and none of it is going back to the individual creators. And I harp on this sometimes because... You do, Rex. I've noticed that a lot. It seems rather important, you know. There needs to be some transfer of money from those wealthy platforms back to the originators of the content, the local creators of good local journalism. And you who ran the Albany Times Union and all the rest, let me ask you this. Do you see any real hope that what you've espoused just now is going to happen? I think it can happen if there's enough understanding. It may take a while Maybe because there are a four-part people... series about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it needs. And Facebook is cutting costs. Their revenue came in lower than they thought, although any of us would die for their revenue. And one of the first things they cut back on was their local journalism project, which was funneling at least some money and some support to local media outlets. So as these platforms begin to struggle. I mean, Twitter's having its own problems with advertiser revenue. The prospect of us getting any share of it is just dwindling. But about half of Americans say that they get their news from digital services. It could be even more than that. But digital news certainly is overtaking traditional media, radio and television, and certainly print. And that's because everybody's carrying a smartphone and because the news is just delivered directly to your pocket all the time. So you need to be sensitive to the fact that if journalism is important in our community, then we need to do something to support it, don't we? We shouldn't just tolerate the continuing decline of news presentation. And the problem, Rex, and I defer to nobody as I do to you, but the problem here is to understand why. How does that work? You know, my advice to anybody who wants to support the news media is to go to the site's homepage and read your content. Don't get it through social media. To make it a regular practice, just go to WAMC.org or your local newspaper's website itself. Go to their homepage and read it from there and not rely on social media. That's what I try to do whenever I can because that way you at least deny the social media giants a little bit, a few pennies. Yeah. Hmm. I wonder how you do that. How That's do you Rex get would that say, across? Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> well, you, you, you have a good app, and you have a good homepage, and you make 
the experience. You don't put a lot of ads in the way of people accessing your content on your homepage. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> and you do whatever you can to encourage people to go to the original source and not rely on social media. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a oh, great on. thought. I applaud, <laughs> I applaud that effort. Even, even in our region, there are aggregators, I still think of them as story stealers, that are providing readers with the list of here's the stuff happening in your area that you might want to click on and then you can click on it and you might be able to see a story or you might hit a paywall and be able to see like just the first paragraph of a Schenectady well, Gazette story, a Daily Gazette story. Oh, if you're not a subscriber. If you're not yeah. a subscriber. So, so, but you, you're yeah. not going to those websites. But I use an aggregator. I use Empire Report. Alan, I think you yes, do. I you do know, J.P. Miller's mm-hmm. site and that's a very handy way to get a sense of what's going on but I'm also a subscriber to uh, you know some of the major sources. Right, so people are looking at Empire Report which you don't pay for, right? Or you do pay for it. Right. No, no you, you don't, don't pay, pay for, it. for it. And they do a good job aggregating the stories mm-hmm. you might want to see, but they're not funding it. Yeah. But then supposedly the traffic that goes to the Times Union or the New York Times or Syracuse.com for that content being there, once you look at it, you get the... The click goes to that right. home entity. Mm-hmm. So that's the argument that the social and, media platform And so much of what we talk about here inevitably comes back to the concept of money. You know, how do we pay for all of this and who gets it? Yeah, exactly. And you can't deny that somebody has to pay the reporters and the producers because news doesn't just slip out all by itself. It requires curation. I guess that's the uh, word of the 21st century. We call that editing. Editing. (laughs) Yeah, it's the same argument musicians have. You know, people say, well, your music is lovely. Don't you want to share it with the world? Yes, we do want to share it with the world, but we need to feed our family and Mm -hmm. pay for the rent. You have to pay people who create content. And if the platforms obscure the fact that you're not paying for it, you know, it used to be easy. You'd say, well, I have to put down a quarter to buy that newspaper in order to get access to the news. Now, digitally, it's hard for people to see that. So if the platforms are an impediment to those news sources getting paid, that's where we say maybe there ought to be some legal intervention by the government to require those payments. Anyway, that is a thought that is controversial that we'll leave for another day. And we have discussed it because of your wisdom and many previous programs, and I'm sure we will again. (laughs) And we shall. Thank you, Dr. Shartok. Alan Shartok, Barbara Lombardo, Judy Patrick, and I'm Rex Smith. Thanks to our producer, David Gastina, for making this all possible. And to you folks for listening to us each week on The Media Project. Finally, the movies notwithstanding, they all got tired of patches on their pants. They organized a union to get a living wage. They joined with other actors upon a living stage. Now newspapermen are such interesting people. The Media Project is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Alan Shartok is CEO of WAMC, Professor Emeritus at the State University of New York, commentator, columnist, and author. Rex Smith is the former editor of the Times Union and Substack columnist. Judy Patrick is the vice president for editorial development for the New York Press Association. And Barbara Lombardo is the former editor of the Saratogian and a journalism professor at the University at Albany. Listen to The Media Project online anytime at wamc.org or schedule a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Or just download the WAMC app for your iPhone or Android at the Play Store today. Thanks for listening. To working folks, for readers, and to big shots for their dough. Now publishers are such interesting people. 
It could be prostitution, I don't know. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, circulation, ting-a-ling-a-ling, advertising, get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give free cheers for freedom of the press. 